Blog Talk Radio. Oh, thank God. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up the world, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. Jane Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis, and believe it or not, the sun was not supposed to shine, but it's shining now. Oh, my goodness. This is MJ Network. MJ in memory of my sister, Marsha Joyce, and Michael Tabman and Fran are going to attack just about anything. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> Good morning, Fran. Nice to speak with you again. I have a whole bunch of issues here that are driving me crazy. Seriously. Yeah, all right. Let's 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 knock them off. Oh well, I hope so. <laughs> you know, when when <laughs> this pandemic started a long time ago, they insisted that everybody get all these vaccinations and stuff. And Fran had three of them, and she's debating about number four very soon because the side effects alone. Who destroyed destroyed me? I, I wound up in the hospital twice from two of them. Mm. So I don't I don't know. Um, this the fact that they finding found another variant in Buffalo. I just saw that on my phone. Uh, what do you think about the, the taking away the mandates for vaccination when people go on planes or even going into stores? They they want to lift everything. What do you think? Well, you know, I, I'm like you. I'm very careful. I'm considering yeah. the vaccine. I'll probably get, I didn't have any bad side effects. Obviously, someone does. They need to you know, put mm. that into the formula there. Um, you know, my wife and I are usually very active. For the last two years, we've been sitting home a lot. And even now, mm-hmm. we go to restaurants. We go outdoors only. Though, though, I will tell you, I had a big party last week uh, for my 65th birthday. And a lot of my friends were concerned. We made it very COVID safe. Uh, everyone had to be completely vaxxed to come. Big area, mm-hmm. outdoor option for those who wanted to eat outdoors. So you have to be cognizant of that. But to your question, I don't have a problem with mandating vaccines uh, for, for various yeah, things. You know, airplanes, airplanes, schools. We have vaccines that we're required to take now. Um, you know, I, I just think this has just been, unfortunately, as we all know, a very political issue. And uh, people mm-hmm. don't want to concede that maybe one party had a better handle on the threat than the other, uh, you know, or handle it differently. Um, so I think that it, it's something that this is just bowing to what's becoming public uh, pressure to just start opening mm-hmm. things up. Look, I want to go back to normal like everybody. I hate wearing a mask. So I'm flying in a couple of weeks. I'll wear my mask and, and do what I got to do. Um, so I think this is more a reflection of society than it is, you know, our yeah. government leaders. We just, enough of us, uh, we're loud enough and vocal enough to make this an impossible task. I, I wear a mask even going into the bakery. Nobody else does. And I we went do to too. the dermatologist two days ago because my chin turned red from the stupid mask. <laughs> and I, I mean, I looked at him and I go like, oh, my God, what happened? He says, it's just the mask. But I'd rather be safe than sorry. I have, I mean, it bothers me because I'm vaccinated. I'll probably get the fourth one as soon as I have a three week, three days to be sick, which will come up when, whenever. But my family in Florida is not vaccinated. 
they decided that it's too dangerous, whatever their reason, and they all had COVID twice. And I just don't, I just don't get it. Um, it. It bothers me. I don't go into restaurants or anything. There is a pizza place, Pizza Domo, which is great, and it's so clean. So you sit by yourself. There's nobody else there. They don't let too many people in. But the other, right. the other thing is that in schools, I mean. My my nephews go to school up here, and they're all vaccinated and boosted. and didn't prevent them from not getting it, but still. What do you do in the schools? And the lack of education is amazing. I mean, I, I hear the, the teachers complaining, oh, I have to teach this, or I have to do that. And since this pandemic has started, they're just giving assignments, and they're not teaching. That I know for a fact. My niece is in college, and she's going to call me later to help her write a project on respiratory therapy. I'm learning a lot. So what do you do about that? I mean, what are they? Why? Why? The, uh, literally, the college professors are just giving classes, giving um, assignments, and they expect them to do them. They're not teaching anything. All right. You know, I got to tell you, during this pandemic, my wife and I were kind of grateful that we didn't have young kids at home and have to deal with these older yeah. school issues. Uh, luckily, I escaped it just by advance of being old and having older children. Uh, but my wife uh, was going to, she's a special ed teacher, you know, she was uh, yeah. going to work another year, going to go another year, uh, but uh, they wanted her back in the classroom. And like me, she's in her 60s, and her answer was no. So she retired. And thus, thus here we are in Florida now, you know, as retired people. But, um, you know, she didn't want to go back. Uh, you know, I understand what parents are saying about, you know, the, why, you know, the interaction, fa- reading facial expressions. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. That's how I communicate a lot. Um, you know, I found during masks my sense of humor, which is always on the edge with people, was a little dangerous mm-hmm. and they didn't see me smiling or, or, you know, my facial expression. They, they think I'm looking to star when I'm just really being friendly, just sort of my New York personality. Uh, but, again, if everyone cooperated, got their kids vaccinated, and they say, well, our choice, well, even have a choice in the other vaccinations that we all have little marks in our arm for, uh, this is how life goes. No, I don't know what's in it. Well, you don't know what's in anything. You don't know what's in the other vaccines you've taken. You don't know what's yeah, in the beer you're drinking. You don't know what's in that ink that you're injecting into your skin for a stupid tattoo. So, you know, let's be honest here. This is not a, that's not a legitimate argument, um, you know, conspiracy theory arguments. But if they put all the kids in there, if everyone did it safely and parents didn't make such a ruckus, and maybe somehow, uh, you know, where I went to school in New York City, as you know, as you taught there, Fran, Me you too. can't have separation. Those, those classrooms are overcrowded. So you know, that, that's not likely. Uh, so you put in all the other measures, you can, such as vaccination and, and voluntarily uh, wear masks, you know, if parents want them to. But we've got to make it safe. Uh, we'll see if this works. Uh, I, I'm hoping it does. I'm hoping that it's made its way through the population. I want to go back to doing things that I, I, I do. But I've got to tell you one thing. I always played uh, tennis, uh, you know, with a group of guys uh, indoors because mm-hmm. I live in Kansas City. And, you know, a lot of them just – you know, different political belief. They kept playing through it, and I didn't go. And one of us, out of 20-something, one of them did get COVID and pass away. And, yeah. you know, you could say that's, that's a small statistic, but that's a, the statistic is only small when it's not you or your family. And um, you know, I was really angry. I thought there's a hell of a risk to take with everybody. Um, but nevertheless, everyone did what they had to do, and I did what I had to do. But uh, right now we're at a stage of society where people aren't doing what's right for everybody, uh, they're doing what's mm-hmm. right for them or saying what's right for their political party to make their choice look correct no matter what. Uh, we've reached a rather irrational stage in our evolution, I think. Well, it's, it's scary because when this first happened in, in the, like, two years ago in September, um, I went to get glasses, 
and the doctor's wife didn't feel well. I had no idea that she was sick. When I went to call to pick up my glasses, they said you better get tested because she's got the virus, and she mm. died a month later in the hospital. Oh, they couldn't save her. And I was so, I mean, I was sitting in urgent care when I got the thing. They said, you better get tested for him because she's got COVID. I got tested three times. Then about two weeks ago, my super got it. And, you know, I don't see him that often, but I did see him, like, for two minutes. I don't really talk to him, so I went and got tested. I mean, you got to be safe, then, then sorry. But I actually called Moderna after I got the first vaccine, and I told him, I said, I understand that this is supposed to save my life, but I looked at all of the ingredients, and I know you put Marilax in it. I said, and that didn't bother me, but why did you create one with so many side effects? They couldn't answer that question. They wanted me to fill out a whole bunch of forms as to what happened. As a matter of fact, my doctor, when I called him and I said, I feel sick, I am nauseous, I didn't have fever, I had every kind of symptom, and he said, it's very possible that you had the virus even though you tested negative from from the shot. I was like, thank right, you so and much. I, and I, yeah, and I think Moderna asking for that information you know, is yeah. legitimate. I mean, it's like an investigation. They want to see who has uh, had these severe yeah. reactions and then look for that common factor and then work around that, either warn people of that or maybe make some change that could help mm-hmm. everybody. Uh, you know, I, I know I, I didn't have a reaction. Maybe, maybe just a little, you know, not feeling well, I remember. Uh, my kids had a stronger reaction, um, mm-hmm. like I said, because they're, because they're young and vibrant uh, immunosystem. <laughs> but I must be <laughs> young, too. Young. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know how we got here, Fran. You know, what always surprised me, uh, i got to get a little into politics here. I don't mean to even be critical, but with President Trump at the time, uh, I give oh, him Oh, God, help us. For, I, well, well, I give him credit for the vaccine. We have to give him that. So I don't know his administration. Yeah. We got it. But what I didn't understand is, as we know from history, a crisis makes a president. You know, war, mm-hmm. that's when heroes step up. And, and when you get them through a crisis as a leader, that's when you're admired and, and you got the confidence. Here was an opportunity, and he, I think he's smart at self-promotion. I think he knows how to, you know, sell himself. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why he didn't, in, I don't want to say embrace COVID, I mean, you know, in a nice way. I mean, accept the reality of it. And then take it on. I mean, if he had told people to wear masks and get vaccinated, they would have followed him. People would have done that. We might have. We might have. We'll mm-hmm. never know. But we might have gotten through this thing, you know, with less deaths, less serious illness. If everyone, because he was leading a lot of people to do anything he says, which he, you know, talked about. If he had done yeah. that, and not thrown super spreaders and made jokes about people wearing masks, I don't understand what his motivation was on that. Unless he felt it was, you know, going to help the economy. But if he embraced it as a challenge. And as he pointed out, he said, I'm a wartime president because of COVID. I agree with that. And I think he should have used, if he has used his leadership more wisely, he might have even been reelected because uh, we, we all love a hero. Uh, we know that, you know, when a war breaks out, it changes so much trajectory. 9-11 changed the political trajectory of many people. Right? I, I don't know why he decided to do what he did, but I think that hurt us. I think a lot of people agree with that. Um, and now they're just, people are just, you know, digging in their heels. Well, after having it for three days, he said he was fine. But I remember when it, when it first came out, I'll never forget this. He was on television, and they said there was some kind of virus coming from China. He said it's probably the flu. I'm going to play golf. It's like, what? He did yeah, nothing. Yeah. I mean, 
He didn't want to accept the fact that, that this happened. And you're right, he probably would have gotten reelected had he not. He, he didn't even wear a mask when he was on in his press conferences. I mean, and he even yelled at Pence when he wore a mask and all the rest of them, and they were just afraid mm-hmm. of him. I don't know why. It, it seems well, frightening. He does, he does wield power, yeah. He does know how to wield power in an incredible way. Yeah. Um, that he does. I mean, look, look what he has, grown men cowering to him. I mean, it seems, it seems unbelievable that these are our leaders afraid of the schoolyard bully. Oh, my God. It's 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 scary, and now they're saying that there's another variant, and I can definitely tell you I don't want any variants of anything. <laughs> As a matter of fact, my my sister-in-law had COVID twice, and she said it was because of the poor sanitation in the schools. She said that she wears a mask even though she doesn't have to. They go all over, and she said that the school is so bad and so filthy that she it, that people are getting sick. So what do you do about that? I mean, and the governor here, she's just playing, you know, the same politics as everyone else because they want to, she wants everybody to like her. I won't even comment on what I think about what she's doing. But what do you do about the poor sanitation in the schools and the fact that they're not doing anything to really clean? I've had my friend's daughter goes to Catholic school, the same thing. I mean, what do you do about that? Right. You know, look, I've, I've got a small office. I've got a business back in Kansas City. My son runs it. Um, it's a small office, but mm. everyone has to be vaxxed, completely vaxxed to get a job there. <laughs> yeah. We work in that small office. Uh, we don't allow any, any, we don't do any in-person stuff. It's all virtual, but we don't allow visitors in the office. And at the end of the day, uh, we have someone go through and clean everything, you know, and spray it down mm-hmm. uh, just to be careful and wash it down carefully. Uh, but, you know, I think obviously the sanitation issue of the school is important. I think we need to be careful before us as laymen start drawing correlations between conditions and COVID. Yeah. Uh, we just don't. None of us are really qualified. There's few of us who are, but there's very few Anthony Fauci's out here. Uh, so, uh, you know, we need to be careful before we say this is why. We, we don't. That's we being the lay people don't know why. But to, to ask about sanitation in school, we shouldn't even be having that conversation. <laughs> yeah, I know. Why is it this? Why isn't the school clean? This is, everything is, every conversation you and I had, I would say it comes down to leadership. We have people in power to make sure things get done. And if there's a challenge such as a COVID or something else, you know, you don't throw your hands up, you work around it. Yeah, that's probably what we should have done in the first place. When we saw we had a lockdown, uh, then we should have said, all right, now who's going to be affected? Uh, restaurants, bars, food halls. Let's come up with a plan for them. Let's help them design, you know, uh, you know, take out food if you can, and let's, you know, help them, you know, PPP loans to those specific industries, not for all these rich people mm. who wound up ripping off the system, right, because we didn't, we didn't do it correctly, as usual. Uh, so if we just, you know, again, embrace the problem as a true problem, understood it, and we took on a strategy, uh, you know, lockdown may have not been as uh, oppressive as it was for everybody, uh, but we didn't do that. We just, uh, you know, kind of said, all right, we got to do it. We don't got to do it. It's crazy. It's over. It's not over. You know, and uh, it, it didn't work, which is why we had so many, so many, the truth in the pudding. That's why I had so many deaths. But now we are where we are. And, and I, I kind of agree with the sort of the endemic uh, perspective that we know it's here. And now we have to figure out how to live with it. And if that means, you know, masks in certain areas, if that means you staying away from certain areas by choice, um, and that would be, that would be. I, I'm, I'm doing a little more than I used to do because I feel I'm triple vaxxed, um, mm-hmm. relatively good health. And I feel the odds, you know, not high that I will get a serious 
dose, if I, you know, it's serious, uh, contagious if I get it. But no guarantee on that. But I'm just making, I'm making my own decision for what I want to do. But I'm, but I'm fully vaccinated. I'm comfortable that I'm not spreading it to anybody else. Well, I'm going to probably get vaxxed again as soon as I have three days to be sick. Oh my. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. They, they, I know. I got a phone call. They said, "Well, you know, you're over this age." I go, "But I'm younger that age. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter what age you are. If you want to get vaxxed and be safe, whatever." But the other, the other thing that that bothers me is healthcare. When I had to go to my primary care doctor, um, he they give you ten minutes, and they don't. They don't. The quality of healthcare has gone down. If you go to urgent cares, when you first went to them, they would do everything, heart rate, everything, anything that you needed. Now when you go into your regular doctor's office, he gave me, I saw him, oh, what's that good, no, November. And he said, well, don't have to come back until June or July because I don't have time and I only have 10 minutes to give you. I mean, I've never, it's unbelievable. You can't get anything done. And if you go into urgent care, um, I said to them, they said, what, what can we do for you today? I said, what is their menu on the wall that one of them have to ask you to do? I mean, seriously, I, 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 I want to say it on the air because I don't care. I'm not going to say how it happened. I have nerve damage on the left side of my face. It's someone's fault. And I, they're, they're, I get up every morning. I'm up since 3 o'clock. I have to take Motrin or go into the ER to get a Toradol shot for my face pain. And it's amazing. It's amazing. But... It, the quality of care is is horrible. You can't get your regular doctor on the phone. He doesn't want to be bothered. So how do you deal with that? I mean, it's not it's not just me. It's everybody that's complaining. You can't get an appointment, right. and when you can, the urgent cares are now they're starting to get more people. So I just hope it doesn't mean that they need to get test more people. And if you go in there, you have to remember that you're going to wait forever. I don't wait in there. If I go in there, I wait in the I wait in my car. So how do you deal with right. that? Because the and the cost of healthcare. Nothing well, you know, first anymore. You remind me of a story I thought was humorous, maybe in retrospect, more than twenty years ago, and I, I got a kidney stone, and I didn't know what it was. All I know is I was in excruciating pain. You know, I just thought somebody was going to just jump out of my body. So my wife drives me to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. We go in there. And says ring ring the bell for service. So we ring the bell, mm-hmm. and someone snatched that. Well, be there in a minute. Just wait. I'm like. Mm-hmm. Nope. That's, that's a response in the emergency room? <laughs> you know, so um, <laughs> I, I always think about that. It's kind of ironic. But, you know, we go through the same things now. Honestly, when I go to a doctor, and obviously as we get older, we do that more often. If he's late, let's say, or she's late, you know, and I'm sitting there in the office, as long as they spend time with me that I need, I, I don't, I'm not critical of it. So you always know there's a way yeah. to doctor's office. But as long as I get my time and I get to ask my questions, I look at it that way. And I recognize yeah. that something may happen that they need to spend a little more time. You want that. So, you know, just go by making an appointment, get there on time, um, have your paperwork ready in advance, you know, to make it more easy, um, and, and just, you know, make it through. But it's not just medicine. It's who can get good customer service with anything these days. I think, um, you know, everyone went to maybe uh, people working at home during the pandemic. And, you know, so, you know, you're home, you're not working as well as you're in the office, you're not supervised rather than having to come back. But I think um, I just get the impression that you know, a lot of people are using the pandemic and, the, you know, the supposed book for shortage to just not provide great customer service. You know, say, sorry, we couldn't get to We don't have any people. And, and that's it. And I think it's just become sort of an excuse or fallback for everybody. Um, 
So that, that is frustrating. And all you can do, uh, you know, is when you're in a bargaining position, you know, you don't like the place, don't go there, find something else with a doctor. We don't have those options. We don't have the, uh, the juice to argue. So you just have to kind of live through it. Just try to find a doctor you like and trust and who's, who tries to stay on schedule. Uh, you know, but when you, it's your time, though, you don't mind when he goes on schedule and he's talking to you. Uh, so just keep that in mind. So if you're waiting, but you get all the time, then maybe not that ameliorates the frustration. You know, as far as health care costs go, um, mm. you know, I, I must say I'm very grateful, in fact, I'm a retired federal employee, uh, because um, you know, people say, oh, you have government insurance. I don't have government insurance. We have private insurance like everybody else, but the government as my employer, as my employer, not, not as the government, uh, you know, provides us uh, with pretty good health coverage. Mm. That's the bennies of work. That's the bennies of working for the federal government. You don't get rich during your time, but you know, at least you have good benefits to fall back on. Um, you know, so uh, insurance coverage is very tough now. Like I've got you know some family members of the Affordable Care Act, and you know they got to pay premiums plus the high deductibles. I don't know how people make it. I don't know how mm. people have to make how they can live by making a choice between food. And medicine, and I can see that happening because I'm fortunate in what I have, which makes me even more sensitive to what other people don't have. And like I said, I know people in that situation are struggling. Um, every attempt to sort of bring down the cost of health care, whatever that was, seems to have failed over the years. It's going to take a smart, influential person to figure this out. But we better figure out quickly uh, because I think it's another breakdown of, of the basic, you know, tenets of that society, which is mm-hmm. a, a rich society like ours provides health care for those who, you know, who need it, who can't get it, you know, on their own resources. Um, I don't consider that a terribly liberal point of view. I think that's just a uh, human, human point of view. Why not, why not care for those who, who need our health for no fault of their own? Uh, so someone's got to call with that plan. Now, I, I know um, recently we had the No Surprise Filling Act or something to that effect, that name, and uh, where, you know, if you go into a, uh, let's say an emergency room or hospital, uh, that's covered under your plan. You don't get those surprise bills like the anesthesiologist. Oh, but I'm not part of your plan. You owe me, you know, 3000 bucks. Um, I was glad to see that. I, I think that was a major step forward. I remember more than 20 years ago, I got one of these real big surprise bills, and I called, I called my senator. And, uh, you know, I didn't get him, of course. I got one of his, you know, his college kids there trying to explain the situation. You know, um, I went to this place. They didn't disclose that they – these people out of network. And, I got, and he's, well, sir, that's what our contract is. I said, I know. I'm trying to explain to you. And he starts telling me how I don't understand how the system works. <laughs> you know, I like to go find that kid now. You know, I'm saying, son, I've been doing this longer than you've been alive. I mean, come on. But um, it took a long time, but we got there. So, so I see some progress. I, I think that was, a, that was a huge step forward, but we, we have a long way to go. Well, the other thing I noticed, um, see, I, I'm, I'm impossible. So if I want to go somewhere, um, if I go, need, if my doctor isn't available, whatever, and I need to go to the emergency room, I call them and tell them I'm coming. No, I'm serious. I really do. And they call me and tell me, your room is ready. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and you you pay a copay of $50 yeah. because they handle it. Yeah, they handle it as, first they handle it as, um the, the hospital and your insurance, blah, blah, blah. And then the $50 is for the doctor because it's considered like an urgent care. And I, I never say a word. I just say I walk in and I go, the queen is here, and they know I'm coming. And when I leave, I go, thank God for all of you. And I call back and thank them because they really mm-hmm. don't have to do anything. Yeah, they're really great up this particular one. But I also noticed that medication is going up. Before I switch to a different topic, that will be even more fun. 
um, I had a, you have to get a cream or something, and the cream that I was using for this was like eight dollars. Now it's thirty. Oh, Everything wow. is, is is going up, oh, like wow. tripled. I don't yeah. say anything because if you need it, what are you going to do? But exactly, still. exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, you got you can only negotiate when you have the power to negotiate. You know, we uh, recently bought a home down here. We're building, and man, did I get ripped off? You know, in this process. But what yeah. can I do? It, 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 it's a market where I can't. You know, if I threaten to walk out on them, they'll say, "See you," because there's nine people in line waiting to take that. You know, waiting to take that home. So uh, we just have to deal with that reality, and you know. About the walk-in clinics, you know, I pay more, you know, for a walk-in clinic as well than I would for a doctor's office. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's, you know, a little deterrent there in that these walk, I, I don't know, urgent care is for just that, urgent care. But there's so many other options now. I mean, with all the pharmacies giving you these shots, that should ease the burden of these doctor offices. Um, I know if I need, you know, a test before I, a physical, and I get my physical every year, uh, I get all my blood work done at, at one of the diagnostic centers make an appointment, uh-huh. go in there, you know, and these, you know, health-related industries are pretty good. They don't crowd the place anymore. They don't, everyone's wearing a mask. I go in, I get in, I get out uh, pretty good. So uh, in, that, in that sense, I think some things are better because we have more options. But without being an expert on the supply chain, which I'm not, I, I always, you know, I don't want to be conspiracy theorist, but I always think it's just a great time for people to take advantage of a situation that may not exist oh, yeah. and raise prices. Blame it on the supply chain, blame it on COVID, blame it on, you know, policies or whatever. But in reality, they're just charging more. That 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 is true. But when I have to go to urgent care, I call them and tell them I'm coming too. Yeah, yeah. It works because basically, you know, if I have to wait 15, 20 minutes, that's no big deal. But I just like to let them to know, the, you know, I'm coming to drive you crazy, and I'm here to, you know, entertain you with my brilliance, whatever. And you know, they're really pretty nice. The other topic well, you know, that bothers. Uh, I'm sorry. I just say, you know, hopefully, I like to see them go to what, what I call the DMV model. Uh, you know, you know, yeah. I don't know what New York's like now. I've been away for a long time. But, you know, last thing you want to do in New York is go to DMV. But uh, in, in Kansas, where I just left, um, DMV was great. You know, you log in on the phone, and it gives and it gives you updates. Are you ready in ten minutes, five minutes? You know, so mm-hmm. you know. So I get it. If all these health places did it, people would wait in the comfort of their own car, wait outside, get a text put on the mask yeah. then, it would make life a lot more, you know, a lot easier and, and probably a lot less aggravating when you have to wait if you could wait in, in the comfort of your own car or even window shopping in the meantime. <laughs> well, the other topic that's driving me crazy, I feel awful. Every time I watch the news and look at, look at what's going on in Ukraine, it, it's, it's driving me crazy. It's like, it's like I feel so bad for these people. And I, is he ever going to stop? Or is he just going to justify taking over? He, he's, a, he's a, I mean, he's no better than a terrorist, Putin. So no, what he's, he's doing. not. Uh, look, uh, you know, uh, you know, the Russian desire for hegemony is, is long known. The desire to bring back yeah. Mother Russia uh, is not. I was in Ukraine uh, about mm. 2004. About 2004. It's a beautiful city, uh, really. And, and I remember though talking to some of my uh, counterparts there. Um, the question was, is Ukraine leaning towards the Soviet, to Russia? I'm still a little mm-hmm. Soviet Union. I know it's not there, but uh, is, is it still leaning to Russia or is it leaning to the United States? And I couldn't get a clear answer, and not because they said it's not mm-hmm. clear, you know, where the internal politics are going. Certainly that has changed since 2004, whatever, when I was there. And let me tell you, it was, Kiev was just a gorgeous city, gorgeous, modern, just beautiful to look at. Um, you know, so that's changed. But, we, you know, uh, 
uh, you know, we have analysts who have been, by we, the United States, the intelligence community, analyzing Putin. We've had a very long time to look at him. I, I think, you know, we know what's going on in his mind. I think we know the danger. Uh, I am one who, if, if President Biden said we, we're going to put a no-fly zone in there, you know, via our military or the NATO joint military, I'd be all for it. I would. I just feel this is enough of a world threat. I think that we're somewhat looking at uh, the, the appeasement of Hitler, which did not work. I'll just give him this, mm. let him do that, and maybe it'll end. It didn't work. But, but I also take into effect, you know, when I hear the president, ask any president, whether I like them or not, when they tell us something, you know, I made this decision, we have to realize that any president and the NATO leaders, they have a lot mm-hmm. more information than we do. They know a lot more uh, than mm-hmm. they can't let out. So if they make this decision, we're not going to fly zone. I'd like to believe, and I have to believe, that they have information that tells them it is not a good idea. It would not work to our advantage. So, I, I, you know, we have to, kind of like the same thing with uh, vaccines. We have all these experts in the country and the world tell us mm-hmm. something, uh, unless you have reason not to believe them. You know? um, mm-hmm. They got there for a reason. They're in these positions of power and influence. They know things we don't know. Uh, you know, that, and we just have to sort of, you know, listen to the experts. You know how I get defensive when everybody starts criticizing cops, everybody, because they know it was better. Um, you know, I'm, I mean, certain things are obvious, but when you know, haven't been a law enforcement officer, you start coming, oh, the cops should have done this, you should have done that. I'm like, well, how do you know? How do you come up with these opinions? Well, same thing here. I don't know, you know, I don't know more than the NATO or the president about war um, and these other decisions. We have, to, we have to allow our experts to make those decisions and have some trust in our institutions, it doesn't mean when we find things are wrong, we shouldn't challenge it, shouldn't look for change. We should still look for openness as much as we can in society, information. I believe in that. But we have to accept the fact that things of war and national foreign policy are, are going to be done behind closed doors, and we just have to have faith in our leaders to do it. Well, there was something on the news yesterday that was really heartwarming. The firefighters from up here in Hudson Valley are sending all sorts of gear to the Ukraine. They're sending jackets and they're sending everything, used gear to the Ukraine, and some of them are actually going there. They're going to go to Poland to help out, which I which I really think is I it's amazing. the The outpouring here is is unbelievable, and the you know understanding that that this is happening, but it's it scares me to think that um, God knows what he's going to try to go into next. That, that's right, what I'm right. wondering. I mean, is he is he going to is he going to be done with the Ukraine, or is, or is Putin going to go see what else what else he could take over? And by the time he gets through with the Ukraine, there won't be any Ukraine left. And you know what else bothers me is the safety of the president of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Well, it's well, the last they shouldn't yeah. try to kill him. God forbid. Uh, I'm sure they are, but he he's become a world hero, a symbol of yeah. strength and leadership. Um, he's amazing. You know, yeah, yeah, we all, we all wish him, you know, success and, and uh, longevity there. Um, but, again, I go back to if we don't, we being the world, does not stop this aggression now, have we changed mm. sort of the world order? Uh, has this become a Again, I look at the appeasement of Hitler. We kept appeasing and uh, we wound up in a world war. I can see that happening again. So I don't know, uh, you know, if he plans to do mm. more. Again, we do know he, he does want to bring back Mother, Mother Russia and um, – if he gets away with this attack, you know, meaning no serious penalties, what's to stop him from doing the future? I mean, he, he's not sensitive to losing, you know, soldiers or someone else's soldiers and yeah. being killed. So, so he doesn't have any, you know, sort of moral deterrent on him, as we might, you know, when we look at collateral damage and trying to 
wage a uh, moral war, uh, which we try to do in other countries as well. Uh, so I, I'm really kind of hoping he does something stupid that just sort of uh, eggs on NATO and they decide we got to go in. I, I, I hope so, most too. Of the country, I think most of the country would support it. Most of the world would support it. Again, without knowing something they may know, but I think if they did, you wouldn't see a blowback. Uh, we don't want to put our men and women at risk, obviously, um, but we do have a military for a purpose, and, and, and this seems to be a legitimate purpose for using it. I'm just wondering what the real what the people that live in Russia really think about what they, what he's doing, and I would wonder. I thought this about this the other day. This sounds a little over the top. I wonder what would happen if all of the soldiers and police in Russia decided we don't want to do this. Are they so afraid of him to say we think this is wrong? They can, they can't go against him, and he's paranoid because he fired all of his his, his people and hired more ones because he's afraid he's being poisoned. Well, if you recall back when Gorbachev, there was a coup on Gorbachev, and you know, he was taken hostage. Yeah. Uh, it, it failed because the Russian military refused to fire upon their own citizens, basically, is what it was when they were all protesting, and, and, and it failed. Um, it takes an act of courage to do that, and, but it's got to start somewhere. I mean, everyone says, you know, uh, I was just following orders. We all know that in Nuremberg defense. Uh, it doesn't cut it. Cut it. Uh, you know, it just takes uh, one or two acts of, uh, you know, John Lewis said, good trouble, good trouble. You know, uh, disobedience. And, and some generals would say we're, mm-hmm. we're laying down our arms and we're surrendering and, and um, you know, we're not fighting this war. And then, you know, uh, it could have a contagious effect. And, and there's the other troops and battalions do that. And the war is lost for, for, for Russia. Uh, I'd like to see it. But, again, you know, you, you work for a country. You're brought up. You're indoctrinated. Under this mm-hmm. Russian, you know, Soviet, you know, uh, style of government, you believe in it. You, you only know what they tell you. For the most part, I don't know what access is to the internet, you know, in Russia. I don't know if people get listen to the MJ network in Russia. I don't know if they can do that. Um, mm. But we do know that he, control, he controls the media a lot, and they only hear what they want to hear. So uh, people in Russia are not really making decisions based on knowledge. I'm not saying they're stupid. I'm saying they don't have knowledge of, of the truth, mm. and. So we don't know. I mean, propaganda is a pretty powerful tool. We've certainly learned that in history, have we not? He, he thinks he's God, God. The other thing is uh, China, are they going to become involved to help them, to help him? Or are they going to do something else? They, that worries me too. Yeah, that worries me too. I, I hope not. I hope not. I um, hope not it, too. It seemed, yeah, the President Biden and President uh, China have uh, – Spoken, it seems like it seems to be in order if they were going to help, now would, be, now would have been the time when they're sort of getting a lot of resistance. Uh, but I, I don't know. Uh, you know, Xi Jinping, I'm not sure he has any great motivation for that. I know they've worked uh, in allies with Russia for usually beneficial matters, but I, I think he would not want to get drawn into this war. I, I don't think it will benefit China much. I hope not. I feel bad for President Biden. He can only do so much. And then he has Man, the other he party. They, they, everything plate. he tries to do, they block him. Yeah, yeah. He's got a lot on his plate. I, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't want to be the president now. Uh, and, um, yeah, he's got a lot on his plate. And hopefully, you know, even when things are good, I think he's got a little bit of a messaging problem there. <laughs> you know, he doesn't seem to get credit for, for the good things. Uh, but he's always, he gets beat up a lot for the bad things, which there's going to be in any presidency, good and bad. Um, yeah. So no, we'll just have to, he'll have to find his way through it. And just how effective is his vice president? Because you don't hear too much about him. When you do, it doesn't sound too positive. 
No, well, you know, that, that, that is the question. I was not a big um, Kamala Harris fan when she was running for president. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel she addressed questions correctly or, or in depth. Mm-hmm. She didn't seem to have this great broad, uh, you know, birth of knowledge um, that she could articulate. Um, she sort of, you know, kind of laughed, at, you know, kind of laughed her way through. I, I, I just wasn't impressed. So I was a little disappointed when uh, she was selected. I don't know what she's doing now. I mean, the vice president can be a very valuable tool to the president. You know, keep in mind that, you know, they have no constitutional duty mm. to the vice president. Um, so, you know, the president can really use them in a really positive way, not, even if not necessarily to line them up for the next presidential run, but to boost their own presidency, show that your second in command uh, can do this, can do that. You made a good choice uh, in, in her and show that by having her accomplish something, having her being out there. And, and then have the right mm-hmm. communications. You've got to be able to sell what you've done. And I don't think they've done that effectively. No, I don't think so either. So I'm glad I'm, I'm not alone in this one. And now <laughs> uh, it worries me because, well, New York State has a New York City has a new mayor, Eric Adams. And at first I really thought that he was going to, you know, he's doing rent stabilization and everything. And I really thought he was going to go do more for education. And knowing, you know, my friends are still in my school that I taught in for a thousand years, it, it worries me that they're not doing anything for the kids that are at the top. And the children at the bottom, I don't know if they have any kind of resource room or special ed or anything anymore because of what's going on, you know, in the pandemic. I don't even know. And it bothers me because there are children that are very smart that are not getting the education and the extra programs that they need. And then the children on the bottom, they still need the extra help. So I don't know. How, how he's going to improve that. I don't even think the mayor, the governor here does knows anything about that because she doesn't even focus on education at all. The parents here are so more concerned with not having to wear masks in school, they're forgetting that the kids are coming in to learn. And then right, bothers right, me. I guess right. in 36 years I work with kids with special ed. I worked as a reading and writing specialist. And my students, I mean, I taught, I came to school at 6.30 in the morning. It was a reading group of kids that came in and said, we're here. And then when this new principal came before I retired, I said I, I retired when my mother got diagnosed with Alzheimer's. But I knew that last year she she took the reading program and just didn't take it seriously. So I said, you know what, I can't if I can't do it my way, what, what is the point? So I don't know. I haven't seen any changes anywhere for education. Well, is there a, is there a I, person know, in charge of all of this somewhere? Of course, the super the superintendent of schools. Right? No, I mean the Don't secretary of education. Did, did Biden well, pick anybody? Uh, I, I, that I don't know. I, I don't follow that um, aspect of government much. You know, the school system mostly just, just doesn't affect me yeah. much anymore. But um, again, you got to remember the the purpose of the federal government versus local control, and you know that's important. You know, the Department of Education, uh, most of the power of the federal government, these kind of agencies, is make rules. Uh, dependent upon you receiving funding from the government. So they can't, you know, make laws. They say, well, and, and create local rules. They say, well, if you want to get our money, you must follow these these guidelines. And that's where the power of the government, in a lot of things, in any uh, kind of funding or grants, uh, the government can impose those kind of uh, rules. But, you know, as far as, uh, you know, the curricula or, you know, emphasizing things, well, that wouldn't come on the national level. That would come on the local level. And, uh, you know, I haven't been in New York in a very long time. I've seen Eric Adams on television. I don't know anything about him. He seems like an impressive guy to me, a New York City police commander. would know his stuff. 
and has addressed, you know, done a lot of management, addressed a lot of burning fires at one time, I would bet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we should be able to address things. But, you know, again, we go back to what is our approach to education, what is mm-hmm. our approach to humanity. Um, mm-hmm. I was having a conversation the other day with someone I met, and he says to me, well, I'm socially liberal and fiscally conservative. I said, you know, I always said that about myself, you know, because um, basically I'm just kind of cheap, and, you know, and uh, I'm a CPA by education. I like to have everything accounted for. But then some, my son pointed out and said, hey, you're not liberally, I mean, I'm sorry, you're not conservative fiscal, or fiscally conservative. No, I said, why not? He said, well, don't you always say you believe in, you know, feeding young kids at school who are underprivileged, giving them mm-hmm. money, taxpayer? I said, yes. Because then, then you're fiscally liberal. What you are is fiscally responsible. <laughs> you don't want to see money wasted, and you don't want to see money, you know, defrauded out of the government. You don't want to see people getting away with that. But so, you know, this guy said, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you now. So a lot of us say that we're fiscally conservative, but we're actually more fiscally responsible. Uh, I am a great believer in, to the extent um, reasonable, that we have young kids who cannot get breakfast at home, That's cannot right. get a hot meal. And I think you know, and I believe what I've read about their ability to perform. Now, you know, I have to use this as one example. Uh, when I was young, and he says, I, ha- I have a big appetite. You know, I'm not a big guy, you know, but I have a big appetite. I always have. I get hungry very quickly. That's my metabolism. When I was young, you know, in grade school, you know, I came to school with a full belly. I'm not claiming poverty that my parents couldn't feed. That's, that's just not true. But by 10 o'clock, I was starving. I was thinking, all I was thinking about was lunch, and my mind was elsewhere. And you know, I think how nice it would have been. And of course, back then, if you took something out and you ate it at your desk, you go, oh my God, you can't do that. You'd be, you know, suspended. Why all those strict rules? You know, people, kids have to eat; they can't be hungry. So I remember how distracting it was to me. And even I remember after school, I had to go to Hebrew school. Uh, you know, two days. Yeah, me too. And yeah, and I remember, you know, we get there. I think three thirty, whatever it was, four to six. I don't remember what it was. Three thirty-five. You know, at least we three, walk there. And I remember I'm there for maybe 45 minutes. I'm starving again. And that's on my mind. So I know that and here I am, not someone from poverty. I'm not trying to give that impression. But so for a kid who really doesn't get that nutrition, how important is it? And to our future, isn't it so much better to have these young kids um, develop into meaningful and productive members of society than not because we sort of kept them in that poverty chain? You know, that cycle, that poverty cycle where they can't get opportunity. You know, as they say, your success is based more on your zip code than anything else. And I, and I believe that. You know what was really scary is that they have to pay for Some of the kids had to pay for lunch. Some of them didn't. And the ones that, you know, were late, the parents were late. I used to say to them, don't worry about it, just get online. You're not going to not have lunch. I will not do that. And I've, unfortunately, as a reading specialist, you got punished twice a week. You got lunch duty. It was so much fun. Me and 500 of them. And actually, they they listened. You know, they it was it was funny because I'll never forget this. This is a true story, and it's hilarious. There were I don't know why this particular day my boss decided to be funny, and I had all the second grades, all the third grades, and all the special ed. It must have been about close to three four hundred kids in the lunchroom, and they got quiet. They were okay, and Miss Brilliant over here said, if everyone is very quiet and everyone listens. At the, and this was the beginning of the month. At the end of the month, I will bring treats for the classes that no one got in trouble. Now, how hard is that? You know, five, three, four hundred kids, and someone's bound to get not in trouble, but talking when when you raise your hand to tell everybody. At the end of the month, it cost me for twenty-five classes treats. 
the whole month. Mm. I was like, I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't want to laugh or cry. They looked at me and they said, are you really going to bring in treats for everyone in this room? I go, if no one gets in trouble, I will bring in for your class. And Miss Brilliant over here is supposed to spend about a hundred and some odd dollars in cookies and candy and stuff, but it was worth it. And the following month, the same thing. <laughs> and I said, okay, which class is going to be class of the month? And it unfortunately was all of them. It was that they said we don't want we don't want your punish lesson, which would mean we'd have to stay inside and couldn't go outside to play because the assistant principal went out. I would, I like staying inside and playing word games and math games with the kids that didn't care about going outside. Yeah, it could it could, it could get kind of fun, seriously. But um, yeah, Fran, I, this, I remember. I'm sorry, good. I'm sorry, good. No, that's okay. Fran, no, no, I'm sorry, I cut you off there. Um, I remember a few years ago there was that. Uh, the crisis, uh, you know, that some school districts just stopped serving kids who didn't pay. Yeah. Was that that was mm-hmm. was that New York or was that somewhere else? Well, part of it was part of it was in New York. As a matter of fact, there was something on the news a couple of months ago. I don't know why I remember these things. I remember everything, where this child came into school and they refused to give her lunch because the parent didn't pay for it. And I thought that was cruel and inhumane. There is no reason was, why you take is, away a child. That was, in, I know, and I was like, as a matter of fact, I emailed a private message, the guidance counsel that's still in my school, and I said, um, I'm so sorry that you're still there. I'm so sorry that she's still there. My school was, when I first started, I won't say when, we were number four or five out of 25, 30 schools in the district because the principal of the school was a monster when it came to education. There was no such thing as, not doing what you're supposed to do. And let me tell you, you worked your tail off, but it was worth it. At the end of the year, the kids did very, very well. Now, all I could say is when this particular principal came, we were 50% on or above grade level in my grade, grade four or five, that I was working with. When she left, when I left, the school now is five from the bottom, maybe even three from the bottom since she's been there. The registration was, you know, 1,500 kids. I think they have 700. And I don't think she walks out of her office anywhere, anywhere. And I don't think she can get up and teach a reading lesson, not as well as I can anyway. It, it's, it, the quality is, is like, forget it. The administrators, I don't know how many of them even go in anymore. Some of them just, you know, work from home and, and dictate, which is what she does. So I, it, yeah, it, just, it yeah. just bothers me. Well, you know, I understand how the world has changed with remote work. Well, let me first go back. That, that decision to not feed a kid is unconscionable. And, again, you've got to be willing to take a stand. You'll get in good trouble. I mean, someone yeah. has to stand. I mean, it's, just a lot. And it's not like an adult. We say, you didn't pay. So, oh, here's my credit card. I got cash. He does nothing with him. So you make a kid go hungry? Again, where, where do we think this is going to lead you know, if we treat little kids like this who don't have that kind of power? Uh, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> that gets me uh, frustrated. You, you asked another question I was about to answer, and I Went back and forth onto this uh, food thing. Um, what did you ask me? I, I'm trying to remember what I said. Before I forget, <laughs> right, well, uh, Monday, um, <laughs> I have the author of Paradise Cope. And on the 7th, yeah, this is going to be fun. There are five people coming on to talk about, we have a panel show. This is, yeah, I don't know why how I came up with this one, but this is different. Um, this, the setting of where their stories, come, their books take place are very educational. So one is going to talk about Antarctica. One is going to talk about a space station. 
One is going to talk about countries around the world. One about Guatemala. And one about hmm. his book, um, John Gilstrap's book, is about a uh, pandemic um, and, and what happens when there's an apocalypse. So that should be fun. On the 14th, the author of Vices and Virtue. On the 19th, someone we all love and love, Charles Salzburg. Um, on the 21st, the author of One Will Too Many, and my, and Matthew Koss will be here for Mouse, Mousetrap. And that's just coming up in April. And at the end of April, if I ever get the book, I am, I'm honored. I was, was floored. She sent me the email herself, Janie and Krantz, Amanda Quick, April 26th, for her new romance novel. She asked for the interview. What can I say? It's, 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 I, I get flabbergasted because it's like I, I have a good – that's the other thing, okay, that, that bothers me. When when you call a, a, anybody, you walk into a restaurant, you walk into an office or whatever, the one thing I can't stand is when they talk to you as if you're four. It drives me crazy. <laughs> they don't they don't know how old I am. They look at me and they go, because my hair is blonde, but it's got purple, blue, red, green, and pink streaks, highlights. No, for real, and spike. So they don't know how old I am, and I would never tell them. And even yesterday, somebody asked me something, when's your birthday? I go, blah, 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 whatever. I won't tell them. Because, you know, I can't stand it when they talk to you and they think you're 105. How do you deal with that? I mean, even in a doctor's office and they say to you, what's your date of birth? I go, I forgot. It's just something like, my Alzheimer's just tucked in. If you can't get it from my address, then you don't have to know. Yeah, that well, they crazy. Just, no, they ask you for your date of birth to confirm that you are who you are. The medical, so they it's not medical fraud. <laughs> uh, they, but you know, they, look, um, they, they they got rules, you know, and they got to follow them. And you know, just like I, you know, a notary. If I use that example, I go to the bank for notarization. They know me every time I come in, though. I'm still showing my ID. Not like they don't know who I am. So some of these yeah, rules there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot of rules and controls. And everyone's worried about uh, malpractice. They want to make sure, you know, uh, you know, Fran Lewis versus Fran Jones, and not operating, uh, making a mistake. By the name, so so that those things are, um, I just really for safety. And I just go, I get tired of it. I, look, I'll call up a credit card company. They'll ask my name and social security number. Then they'll ask me all sorts I won't of give other ideas. I'm like, I'm like, if I have all that, you know, don't you think yeah. I'm going to know the address? <laughs> you know, I mean, they ask you all this really personal stuff, and then get the information that's public information. I'm like, all right, now, now we're getting crazy. Now we're overdoing, you know, the need for security. But you know, what am I going to do? I got, you got to follow the rules. You just kind of have to take these things with a grain of salt. If, if someone's just asking more questions than you think they need, just give them the answer. I don't put my social security number on uh, the doctor forms either um, because mm-hmm. or I may give them the last four uh, because there was a time, you know, yeah. in our lifetime, you and I, that uh, your, your medical insurance was under your social security number. So they had to have it. You know, with the advent of ID theft, that stopped a long time ago. So there really is very little need for them to have your social security number. If they could, if they could, you know, articulate a real reason, I have to give it to them. I'll give it, but I try. The less you have it out there, the less chance of being compromised. Yeah, I, I don't give them my social security number. And I, I mean, I get, I get annoyed because they'll say to, they'll say to me, you know, what's your date of birth? I go, I don't know. It's not that I care that they know, because basically, there's a, there's a, there's a history behind whether it's right or wrong. My mother had a habit of making up stories. And she had a habit of fudging things and making them appear the way they are. So someday I may find out a lot of other stuff about how old I really am, but I don't even care. It's just that when you tell them how old you are, my computer is not behaving itself. When I tell them how old I am, 
They go, oh, do you understand what I'm saying? I go, of course not. You want to speak another language? Well, are you sure you got this right? I go, no, I never get anything wrong. I'm sorry, I have a photographic memory, and it bothers you. It, it that drives me crazy. I mean, I, I'm blaming. I, I've never experienced that myself. I I'm can't say. Oh, you don't want. You don't want to. It's horrible. <laughs> no, I can't imagine. No. The, uh, I said to the girl, please. "Is there this particular thing in this cream? How would you know that?" I go, "Because I'm smart and I looked it up." I said, "This <laughs> particular ingredient." Um, is is going to annoy me. It's I'm not going to be able to use this particular cream. She said, well, how do you know that until you use it? I said, because I had a problem with something else with that. No kidding. And I just, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. I said, well, do you know what? Tell the doctor to figure out something. And I'll, when I go to the pharmacy, I'll ask the pharmacist because he knows better than you do. <laughs> what can I say? Yeah, I, I find, um, you know, you want to get things done in this world, um, I just tolerate, tolerate. like, for example, the waiter. You can, you can really upset me, but I ain't saying anything until after my food serves. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, um, I, you know, I try not to uh, upset these people that I'm kind of reliant on for the moment for the service. And there's always another time you can express dissatisfaction. But I, I think, you know, just get the job done. Get what you want, which is good service, whether it's a doctor, a restaurant, whatever. And um, the best way to get is don't give them a reason to say, oh, this person's a jerk, even though it might be illegitimate, you know, if you, and then they find reasons to just be annoying, and, and you wind up on the losing end. So I just look at it as playing the game. I just play the game. I'm nice to them. I listen to them. I do what they say. If I have an issue, I'll take it up after the service has been completed. But I won't get in and out of their safety. It's a doctor's office or a restaurant uh, without someone messing with me. That's just my approach. No, I'm nice when I walk in, and it was funny because when I called the other day, the girl on the phone said, don't forget to bring some reading material for the doctor. He wants some books. So that's how I got my appointments. I call up, I go, what does the doctor want to read this week? Oh, he wants to read Philip Margolin? No problem. Got that. <laughs> and he, he looks forward to me coming because he wants me to bring him more reading material. So before we get, are you writing anything new? I'm not, Fran. I did play with you last time we spoke. It was years ago. I was playing with something. I wasn't yeah, I was happy hoping with you it. would. Yeah, I'm kind of, I just funny, I mentioned to my wife, I, I really would like to get out there and really write one gangbuster book, <laughs> you know, in my yeah. lifetime, you know, one that really hits the charts, one that really, you know, people appreciate, uh, you know, and that's the meaning. So I'm not, I, I do have the motivation. I just haven't been able to sit down with everything I'm doing. Of course, we just moved, so we got a lot of moving going on, so that the businesses I run, just trying to get mm. back out there now, you know, do more some media consulting now. Um but yeah, I, I would. I just have to come up, um, decide what, what do I want to write. Do I want to, uh, you know, have one of my characters reappear? Do I want something new? Do I want to write a nonfiction uh, based on really based on all the things we talked about? You know, so yeah, that know. would be really cool. But Mark Lucarelli, you can have a. I'm writing a sequel if I ever find time to do it with all my book reviews to Population Zero, the world without people. I haven't mm. decided. I'm going to either call it Behind the Behind the Mask. Or the the dark world, and I have a character who's completely scary. So I have to decide who he's going to kill and how he's going to torture the people where they live, the ones that came back. Because if I well, don't mind, re- I have yeah. no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, just as you mentioned Zuccarelli. I had this my party here um, last week, and the real Zuccarelli flew out from New York City to give me a toast. And uh, mm-hmm. he introduced himself, and you know, people just knew he was my partner from years ago. And then 
I got up and I mm-hmm. said, this is the real Detective Zuccarelli of Bad Intent. You're going to go, yeah. <laughs> you know, they were really, really impressed that the real, the real guy was standing right there. <laughs> you know, so. That that that, that, see, that that would be impressive. All I, I could tell you, I interviewed Philip Margolin. He's one of the top criminal defense attorneys in the world, and I, w- I was so honored because I interviewed him on March eighth, and he said to me, "I want you to know that no matter when I have a book, you're the very first interview." So he already took one for November eighth for his next one for his Robin Lockwood, oh. and I was like, "That is so cool." It is really cool. Well, friend, but, uh, as as I always say, every time you speak, you speak. I don't forget. It was you who got me on the charts, and, and I you tried. Know, you who got me this. You did. No, you did. And I, you know, I, I really, I always appreciate uh, what you did. So thank you. Very That's much. why you got to write another one, and everybody go on Amazon and get Mike's books because Bad Intent is really good. Yeah, and, it's and good you intent. Got, you got, you got to, you got to <laughs> definitely do it. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, Marsha Casper Cook is um, the host of A Good Story is a Good Story. So she's been texting me the whole time. So I don't know. She said she might want to do have you on her show also to talk about whatever she comes up with. So I'll let you know. Oh, that'd be fun. I, I, think, I think I've spoken with her in the past, Marsha. Yeah, you know. she's really nice and she's fun. Yeah, and she, yeah. She's going to have a show this afternoon with Vincent Dandry and Dick Belsky. And Dick and, and Charles and um, Vincent are going to be on May 5th when we talk about where do you write, how do you write, and what is your motivation. So, Mike, thank you so much. Everybody, have a great day. And do an act of kindness for people. Everybody got to do something kind because that's what I do every single day. Everybody have a great day, and bye. Bye-bye.